It is Tuesday morning, Nickelback time on Daily Delivery. I am your host, Michael Rand. Hope everybody's having a great Tuesday so far. Lots of good stuff coming up. Andrew Kramer here in just a minute. Vikings writer, covers the team, does a film review online and in print every week, and helps me on the podcast understand kind of a facet of the Vikings. This week we take a look at their deep passing success against a Carolina defense that had been quite good coming into Sunday's game, uh, including a particular formation they used twice once they missed a play, but it was open once they hit on it for a big gain in Sunday's overtime win. My least favorite team is my favorite team, but I when I started that segment at the start of the year, I could not have dreamed of a better six games to start the season that embodied the full spirit of your favorite team also being your least favorite team. So Keith Rashad will join me here in just a minute. And Randy Johnson on Gophers football helping me break down that big win over Nebraska and the aftermath of that. And uh, and also looking forward for the Gophers who control their own destiny. That's a big, uh, that's a big uh, idea with so much time left in the season. But uh, if they... If they take care of their own business, they will be Big Ten West champions. Film review time with Andrew Kramer, one of my favorite segments on Daily Delivery all week. We break down kind of a key aspect of the most recent Vikings game. Won't do this next week, obviously, because there won't be a Vikings game. But uh, as of now, a lot to dissect from the 34-28 overtime win over Carolina. Um, Andrew, I want to zero in on kind of the big game big play passing game they kind of had going in, in this one in particular, you know, a shot they took to Justin Jefferson early that was there, but I think cousins was pressured a little bit and, and maybe hit as he threw, didn't quite have the completion and then went back to the same play and got a big gain to Adam Thielen. Maybe walk me through kind of the play I'm trying to describe right there. Yeah. It was interesting to see how those were examples of ways that Clint Kubiak has really evolved this offense a little bit. It's this, those plays weren't really something um, while you would see that result, the Jefferson Thielen kind of springing loose downfield after a play action handoff, you would see that in the Gary Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski offenses. But what you wouldn't see is Kirk doing that from the shotgun, which is what those two plays were. And I thought that was such an interesting hybrid and mixture that it obviously helped the offense. It was at a much needed time with Kirk making those big plays. And the first one, obviously he missed and overthrew Jefferson, but they were still able to march down the field on that drive. Um, I just think that it was a good example of Clint kind of meeting the, the offense halfway and saying, okay, if we're going to be so predictable that every time we get under center, the defense knows, okay, it's going to be either a Dalvin cook run or a play action bootleg. Let's try to mix it up a little bit, go into that shotgun where Typically, when Kirk's back there in shotgun, it's a quick throw. That's the whole thing with that shotgun offense is you don't want Kirk sitting back there long. The offensive line's not built for it. This time, they actually used Kirk and kind of asked him to be mobile and say, all right, fake a handoff out of the gun and then just run to your right and kind of continue that bootleg action out to your right without being under center. Um, it was it was a big change and something that the Panthers clearly weren't really looking for. They, they had single high coverage on those plays which means they're expecting a quicker throw or a run. And they were able to kind of leverage that coverage in that situation. And what I love about that play design, and, and you, I referenced a play they had, a similar play they had a couple of years ago, albeit under center and maybe a more traditional play action, is you, you don't see a ton of teams, and maybe because it requires a certain amount of arm strength from your quarterback, 
but I love the play design of rolling right, but being able to hit a big throw back to the left side of the field. Cause that's not typically like, like you're taught, like you don't have time to get it that far. Like a safety is going to come over and get that ball or the play is just going to, it's going to take too long to develop. But if you create enough space, it kind of opens up a pocket kind of in that middle to left side of the field after you roll right. Yeah. And the Vikings have been able to kind of hit that concept for a while. And that, that big, deep over route is what you're talking about. Yeah. From that one side opposite of where Kirk's rolling out, it takes the quarterback, obviously having that arm strength, it takes him being able to read the field and read the defenses. A lot of the reason why Kirk is so good in play action is he can get a good pre-snap read and he can turn his back to the defense and then flip around and know where to go with the ball. That's not something a lot of quarterbacks like. A lot of quarterbacks sometimes even say, don't do that. I want to stay watching the defense the entire time. So that's a big key of it too. But when you've got Jefferson and Thielen, those guys are so good at running routes and breaking things off and adjusting these things. And so the subtleties I love because you saw Jefferson on that first play that Kirk missed him. You saw Jefferson take that deep over route and kind of fake it out to his right like he was going to actually do more of a flag route where he kind of goes in and then out to his right, fakes to his right, cuts left, and then continues that route over to the left. That's not something a ton of receivers do. And then they adjust it to where Thielen, when he lines up in the slot on that next play where it was the 35-yarder in the third quarter, he lines up in the slot, and instead of going to his right, he continues the over route but then breaks it off even more and kind of turns into more of a deep dig route where he kind of comes back and and flat toward the the sideline. Those adjustments with those receivers who can do that on the fly, that's not necessarily game plan. The coach doesn't say, okay, do this this time. They'll give them the option and say, okay, if you see this coverage, do this. That's a credit to the wide receivers who are smart and able to do that on the fly. Now, against Detroit, we didn't see much of a big passing game at all. And, you know, I think there was some criticism because of that. And maybe part of that was game situation dictating, you know, run some clock. And that probably should have been an easy or comfortable win until it wasn't uh, even before, even without some of the big plays. Why, you know, how and why were the Vikings able to exploit Carolina's defense, which was one of the top rated defenses coming in in a lot of different metrics. Vikings had 571 yards and hit a lot of big passing plays, including the game winner to KJ Osborne. Yeah, I think a big part of that was the offensive line um, and, and part of how Kubiak schemed it too. Christian Derrissaw made his first start, not only started, he played every single snap. There was no more rotation with Rashad Hill. And what stood out about Christian Derrissaw is the guy's not going to get beat quickly on a bull rush. You see the talent, the 315 pounds, the strength, the just you know brute size that this guy has, the reason why he's taken as highly as he was in the draft. That makes a big change right out of the gate. But then you had the other four guys playing much better than they had in that Cleveland game and in that Lions game, certainly at the end. Um, Mike Zimmer opened his press conference on Monday by saying, I thought the offensive line blocked very, very well. And, And he doesn't do that with this offensive line very often. So I think that was a big part of it was up front. They were actually able to play very well against Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Derek Brown. These are all very good pass rushers, very good defensive linemen. Um, CJ Ham's uh, 30-yard run was opened in part because Derisaw basically bullied Derek Brown as a first round. I think he was taken in the seventh overall in the 2020 draft. A first round pick just kind of blew him right off the line. And that kind of created that wall for CJ to open through. And then obviously CJ put that move <laughs> on the safety to, to get free for the other 30 yards there. But 
Um, to answer your question about how they did it, it, it was the offensive line. That was the big matchup going into that game is can that offensive line hold up? And they did it, and they absolutely did. So I guess going forward, let's let's think big picture as we wrap up the segment is, you know, is that is that kind of big play offense sustainable? Was it something, you know, in particular they could exploit against Carolina? Do you think they try to come back to that, you know, especially after having some success with it and that being, you know, one of the main reasons they won that game? Is that something they will try to keep up, you know, especially because they might need to win some higher scoring games in the next few coming out of the bye against some pretty good offenses without Patrick Peterson, by the way. Yeah, what helped is that Dalvin Cook was healthy, clearly. That like that was the thing that we don't we didn't really talk about out of that game is that this guy ran for 140 yards. They couldn't hit the screen game very much. They had one opportunity that could have been really good, but they didn't hit the screen game much against Carolina. And I think that was a game plan thing because Carolina's very fast on defense. But Dalvin took like 28, 29 carries, 140 yards. That helps your cat and mouse game because the Vikings had struggled early on with the play action pass because teams could play too deep safety shell coverage and say, we can handle you up front with seven. We don't need eight. We don't need nine. We don't need to load the box like the old Adrian Peterson days. We can just kind of sit back, cover your wide receivers and beat you up front with matchups with Derisaw being healthy, cook being healthy. That changes a lot. And I think if Derisaw continues to improve here, um, you might see defenses say, boy, we need to drop that safety, and then that's going to keep that play-action passing game going. Good stuff as always, Andrew. It was an interesting game. <laughs> Harder than it had to be in some cases, but uh, just uh, in the end, it just made more yards for Kirk Cousins in the offense, right? More comeback Kirk, right? Kirk Tober. Kirk Tober, baby. It's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be Kirk uh, Kirk Vember by the time they play again, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Or Hall- <laughs> Halloween, probably. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get you again ba- that time. Uh, thanks again, Andrew. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. Really interesting stuff from Andrew, as always. Um, enjoyed the discussion about the deep passing game and kind of how they've incorporated different facets of, of things that Clint Kubiak's kind of learning on the fly, how to be less predictable, and that's going to be so important going forward, especially in these first three, four games coming out of the bye week against those very good opponents. My least favorite team is my favorite team. Keith Rashad joins me, as he does most Tuesdays. The only thing that I wanted the Vikings to learn from that game against Detroit was to never take a late lead for granted. Just put the game away. Just, you know, I don't care if you're playing good. I don't care if you're playing bad. If you're up by double digits in the last five minutes, just go ahead and put the game away. Don't mess around. Don't let a team get back into it. That's the only lesson I wanted them to learn. And then they did the exact same thing against Carolina. What do you think about that? I have so many thoughts about this really dumb game. Uh, Good. Cause we have a podcast. <laughs> do you, do you want the, the good, the bad or the ridiculous? Cause we I wanted, can go through I wanted, all. Oh, I want it all. Cause you know, my least favorite team was my favorite team kind of encompasses the whole Vikings experience. All right. What do you want to start with? The good, the bad, start with, the we'll start with, start with the good. Cause they won the game. We don't want to be like, you can't be overly negative. They won their last, for as aesthetically weird as these last two games were, they did win. They did get to three and three. So let's hear about the good first. Okay. So as far as I'm concerned, the good of the game is that it was a useful reminder that things could be worse, right? That, that they could be worse in the sense that, you know, at least Mike Zimmer cares about a third of his team, right? And seems to work really well with a third of his team. Matt Rule does not look like he even enjoys the job, 
right? And does, does not seem to want to be there, doesn't seem particularly interested, right? Just does not seem like a good football coach. And then you had a quarterback who was in, in Carolina who was deeply committed, deeply committed to playing a bad Kurt game. Right. Yeah. Who and his receivers and his receivers were were up for it too. Oh yeah, they were totally into it as well. Right. And so he, they were committed to playing a, a bad Kurt game, and and that team is injured, and it's and so it was a useful reminder that things could be worse. Even though those two teams have the exact same record, right? It, right. There are just things happening to Carolina that are such that that you could say to yourself, boy, that team doesn't seem to be in very good shape. So the, the good thing was, you know, they did win and it's a reminder that, Hey, you know, life could, could be more difficult. Okay. So that's the good. What's the bad. The bad is bad. They just barely beat a team deeply committed to losing a team that, that so desperately wanted to lose they were full, Again, they were so they were so prepared to lose that game they gave it their best effort they yeah. truly truly tried to give it their best effort and then you know i i get the, the, the there is a weirdness going on in terms of uh, the turnovers special teams and just one of those silly sorts of games and i get that the defense only gave up 21 points as it were but that team what the carolina panthers were missing their best offensive player perhaps their best player period, right? They had a quarterback, again, that was really trying to play a terrible Kirk Cousins game, right? Uh, and they were given the opportunity, the, the Vikings defense was given the opportunity to shine at the end, just like Mike Zimmer seems to want every single stupid week, right? And they still gave up 21 points to this really atrocious team that was trying to lose and they couldn't get it done when they needed to get it done. When it counted the most and they absolutely needed to, they just, what is there, two fourth downs on that last 96 yard drive with a two point conversion? Including fourth and 10 from their own four, I believe. You know, I mean, it's none of it is, is getting any better. And this defense is still bad. And I let you off the I let you off the hook last week. I let you off the hook last week when you said I said the defense is is much worse than the offense, or the offense is better than the defense. And you were all like, "Well, I don't know." What if I, I kind of what if I told you? There. What if I told you that people who know, I, you know, I tend to I think at least that the offense should be their identity. But Pro Football Focus says the Vikings have the fourth best defense and the seventeenth best offense right now. Now they know more about football than you do. I'm just saying. There is a metric that says the defense is much better than you think it is. Well, they certainly know more about football stats than I do, but anybody who's watched this, these games knows that that defense is not any good. Knows that this defense is not any good. I think the problem is that they've, I, I, I think, okay. And, and the big, and one of the problems is like, as of five minutes before we started recording, we learned Patrick Peterson is on injured reserve. He's going to miss at least three games. That's not going to be here three weeks. At least that's not going to be helpful to a secondary that at least played better in that, in that Carolina game. But, you know, it's again, it's the, the problem with the defense has been that they haven't played well when it matters the most. And that's really all you really, that's what that's the, that's 50% of the NFL right now. They've given up a drive to tie the game or go ahead by the opposing team 
four times in the fourth quarter or overtime this year. That's that's a problem. Like the and the offense has done the exact opposite. So I'm with you in that regard. I'm just saying statistically there is evidence that the defense is good. Okay, nerd. Nerd. All your statistics. I don't want that emailer to get after me. I don't want the emailer to get after me again and say he likes all of Andrew Kramer's um, stats, but doesn't like all of your opinions. So I wanted to mix in the two. Oh, all right. Fair, fair enough. By the way, that yes, there was the the one bit of feedback was the most gentle piece of feedback I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh, I kind of don't like what this guy would when all he does is express his opinions. Well, you know, first of all, that is all that I do. He's not like it's not giving away the state secrets here. No, no. But it was so nice. So as far as the nicest piece of criticism I ever had, I do want to just give that guy a hug. Right. It was just so kind the, the way that I endured, had to endure that particular criticism. But we know what the deal with this defense is. We know exactly what the deal is, which is if they can get pressure, they are good. If they can't get pressure, they're, they are no good. Right. And in the clutch situations, they're not getting enough pressure. They're not getting it done. They are failing at the, the points in time when they need to succeed the most. And they... <laughs> Even they are, even though they are still Mike Zimmer's baby, even though he tries to set them up for these wins each and every time with some cowardly play calling at times, uh, it is not working. It is not working that there's nobody who watches these games who does not trust the offense way more than the defense right now. I agree with that. Here was the email, by the way. It's from Brent. Hi, Michael. I really enjoyed Andrew Kramer's evaluation of the Vikings with the stats he provided in the comments. He obtained from Kendricks. It was very informative. Andrew had a great comment that the Vikings defense was very good until the final minutes. But your friend talks about how the defense is awful. I think he lets his emotions carry into his comments too much. He's just giving his opinions. He doesn't have stats or player comments to back up his statements. People who use the comment awful don't acknowledge the good phases of a team. The Vikings are not having the season we all wanted, but there are many parts of the team that is far from awful. Mm, Okay, tell me the lie. (laughs) No no lies, no lies expressed. Okay, you were going to get to the ridiculous too with the team. Yeah, Uh, how long was that stupid game? It was. It took forever. Now here's the thing. So I'm I'm at home watching the game. Um, My wife had taken our oldest daughter to buy an outfit for school pictures because school pictures were today. So it was just me and the two younger kids, and we were watching. And the you know the four year old's getting frustrated. Like she doesn't want to watch football. Nobody wants to watch football except me in this house. And I'm like, okay, the game's going to be over pretty soon. I'll let you watch something when the game's over. And then <laughs> oh no, Carolina right. ties it. And I get, Eleonora, I got some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> the game's going to go to overtime. And so daddy needs to watch football a little bit more. And she just uses her standard phrase. But I've been waiting a thousand minutes. I'm like, well, it's not been a thousand minutes. The game was not a thousand minutes, but she had to endure. Are you sure? Are you sure? It's, it seemed like it was, it was like, it was three hours and 40 minutes or something. It was a forever game and it didn't need to be that long. As we've talked about on this podcast before, I'm on the East coast, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, I usually don't get the opportunity to watch the games live, uh, but because they were playing Carolina, I did get the opportunity. And so my five-year-old son, you know, was kind of the same way. He, uh, he let me watch a lot of it as long as I kept playing games with him and, and stuff like that, right? But I'm thinking to myself, game starts at one o'clock here on the East Coast. Yeah. And my son has uh, his hockey practice at 5.15, right? And so it takes about 20, 25 minutes to get to the Perfect. rink. So you're like, right? okay. 
Game's going to get over around 4, 4.15. Worst case scenario, your time. Right. We jump in the car and then we go. If I have to listen to the last little bit, you know, there's some post-game, whatever, I'll do that in the car. Right. I'm basically holding my son in the car at the hockey arena, right, keeping him from jumping out of the car so I can listen to that very last play, right, in that unbelievably stupidly long game it was just it took forever partially because sam darnold went 17 for 41 there yeah. brent do you hear that brent <laughs> he went 17 for 41 stats. if you want your stats he's got stats he's got stats this time <laughs> i mean it was just it took forever it was sloppy and weird it was just kind of a ridiculous game all around and the fact that they found themselves in the situation at the end is just, I mean, this team, this, this ridiculous, silly, stupid team. They've earned every bit of their three and three record. Like it's just, that's just what, that's what they are. And it's maybe we just have to live with the ridiculousness this year. They had, you realize that because they, you know, because they had that overtime drive and because of everything that happened in the game, they had 571 yards of offense in that game, 571. Like Kirk oh, Cousins, but, uh, but Kirk pro Cousins, football focus knows what they're talking about. Which unit is better? Okay, all right. I'm not saying I'm not saying who I trust more, you or the professionals at Pro Football Focus, <laughs> but um, you know, and different. You know, I think that's a little. I know skewed. who Brent trusts more? I I trust the offense more. I love at this you, point. Brent. I'm I, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I I lashed out. I let the emotions out. get the better of you. Me. Did let the. Again, I apologize, Brent. Again, we've talked about this, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I do, I, I trust the, I even wrote about that Monday. Like I, I, I think, you know, I don't think they're going to do it, but I think they should come out of the bye week Their identity of this team is the offense. They've still got better players on offense than they do on defense by and large. I think you can be good in both phases of the game. There's no law that says you can't be good in both phases. And I think they're good enough on both sides of the ball that either one of them could win you a game on a given week. But I think, I think they're better. I think they're better on the offensive side of the ball. That's, that's the, that's the side of the ball. I trust. And I do wish they would open it up a little bit more. Like even in this last game, they have the, the actual guts to do play action on first and 10, get like a 40 yard completion to Tyler Conklin. I'm like, yes, finally, we're not just, they're not just going to run it into the line three times and punt it. And then after that, they run it for nothing, do a short pass. And then Dalvin cook like loses four yards on an edge run and they have to punt it. And then, you know, from there you, uh, you start the comeback. So it's, it's just, it, it's frustrating. It's, it's frustrating to watch them, you know, not be able to put a game away on defense, but continually think they can. Well, and you see, I wouldn't even go so far as to say that they need to treat the offense as the identity of the team. I think they need to do exactly what you were just outlining which is they need to not be so scared when their offense is on the field, right? If they could just actually engage in aggressive, meaningful play calling while the offense is on the field and, and do more than trust that unit to hopefully not screw it up for them. When that unit has been amazing this year, when Kirk Cousins has been amazing this year, right? And by the way, between him and Zimmer, those have to be the two most frustrating human beings in my sports life right now, right? They do so much, so many times to make you just despise them, but then they're always seem to be good enough where you can't just sort of dispose of them and just be yeah, done with like them. The, like the, the last throw from cousins to Osborne was beautiful. It's just a beautiful touchdown play. 
Yeah, and he's he's capable of that, and he's been doing it all year long. He's had an amazing year, and he deserves his due for having this amazing year. Uh, don't say anything about the vaccine. Don't say it. Not gonna make it political. Just don't say anything. Uh, but anyway, the the more fundamental point that I'm making is that it would be nice if it seemed like this coaching staff had a little bit more faith and a little bit more trust. It doesn't have to be this whole massive identity change. It just has to be a willingness to trust your best unit on your team to do what it needs to do to win games for you. I agree. Maybe they'll do some soul searching during the bye week. We probably won't do this segment next week since they are on a bye. Maybe be back How at it. How does Brent in- feel about that? I don't know how Brent feels about that. Maybe, maybe I, I hope Brent is listening today and he'll provide some more feedback. Maybe we'll do the Brent email of the week as he critiques your performance on this show on a weekly basis. I think you'd like that actually. I would, I, I, like I said, I would be willing to give him a hug. It was such a gentle way to critique what I have to say. Feedback is a gift. All right, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. That was your weekly reminder that being a Vikings fan is an experience unlike any other, even when they win sometimes like the last two weeks, They leave you feeling more with relief than they do with general happiness. Randy Johnson joins me now to talk Gopher football coming off of 30 to 23 win over Nebraska. A big one um, in a lot of different ways. Puts the Gophers at two and one on the year. Um, They watched Iowa lose not long after that and uh, put themselves, Randy, in a position now where they, the, the Big Ten West race is wide open, and in fact, if the Gophers can get some momentum going, they control your own destiny is, is kind of a, a big word with, you know, big phrase with six games left in the year, but they they kind of have a, they're in a position now where they can, they can do some things in the Big Ten West. Yeah, there, there's a path there. Um, it's a long path. Six games is a, is a lot to, uh, you know, project too far forward, but they do, uh, they they're a half game behind Iowa, who's three and one. They're two and one in the Big Ten West. Um, basically, they're they're tied with Purdue, but Purdue's also two and one. But they got the win over Purdue. So, yeah, if they can, um, if they take care of business in the next few weeks, and that's that can be a big if. We do remember they lost to Bowling Green a few weeks back, but they've played much better the last last couple of games. Uh, you know, they could go into that Iowa game on on November thirteenth with it being a huge game for them. You know, if they they go in there and if they somehow would win just to, to keep it to, uh, you know, just the one loss in the big 10, that they, there'd be, they'd be pointing pretty well. Yeah. We'll get to maybe a little bit of that future in a bit. They've got Maryland at home next Saturday. I saw they opened as five point favorites in that game. Then they're at Northwestern and then home against Illinois the week after that. So a favorable stretch considering how those teams are playing. But again, before we get too far into the future, you know this this Nebraska game had a lot of defining moments, and you know they they played really Gophers played really well offensively in the first half, built themselves a lead, and then Nebraska got a lot of momentum in the second half. But the you know goal line stand, um, you know getting that safety on uh, on on Martinez, and then being able to get you know get the two touchdown cushion at least, and then hold on at the end because that uh, that onside kick was dicey. Watching it on TV, uh, watching the replay, that ball squirted out, and uh, that could have gone the other way, but they, they do get it done. What, uh, aside from it being a culture over skill win, what did you see on uh, on Saturday? What, what I liked in that first half was, was the run pass mix. It was really good. 
I was looking up the stats here. They, the first quarter, they, they passed 10 times and ran 10, 10 times. Tanner was, uh, Tanner Morgan was, was at the hot hand. Uh, he completed 14 of his 15, uh, first 15 passes, uh, then had a school record, uh, streak of uh, 16 uh, consecutive completions before he threw his first uh, of two picks in the, in the third quarter. Um, yeah, they, they, they had a nice mix and that opened things up. And then when you got uh, Chris Ottman Bell back in the lineup at, at, at full strength and making that spectacular catch he, he made for the touchdown, um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you, you got a lot better offense going there. And then it, you know, it kind of was a tale of two halves. They get into the second half and really need to lean on their defense. And it does, come through. I mean, the pivotal point in the game probably is Nebraska is down 21-16 and they're, you know, at the one-inch line and Martinez gets stopped just short of the goal line. It looked like he might have been in, but there was no conclusive replay to, to say that. And But then, you know, they're, they're, they're really close. They got a big back. They hand it to him and he essentially stumbles on the handoff and can't get into the end zone and they make, they make the stop right on the goal line and they, they take over the ball there. Nebraska never takes the lead. Um, you know, but it, it does, you know, it, with without getting too much into the, the PJ Fleck culture thing, and I do, but I do want to ask you about that. Like, you know, that probably would have been a point where it would have been easy to just say, oh, they're going to, they're going to get in the end zone here. They, they've got a, you know, they've got some, some superior size right here. And then they just didn't. Yeah. The, the Gophers defense uh, last, last few weeks, you know, they actually, since the opener, they've been, they've been pretty, pretty solid. Uh, you know, that even in their loss to Bowling Green, and you know that wasn't on the defense. That that was an uh, an offense produced loss, uh, and it put the defense in some pretty pretty tough situations. Uh, but but Saturday, yeah, they, they they got that stop. They got a situation where they uh, forced Nebraska to, to try a field goal, um, twenty seven yarder that was missed. That kind of uh, got into. Scott Frost had a little bit. The next time Nebraska gets down there, uh, they're at the 34. He doesn't try a field goal that time. That he had a kicker who made a, made from 50 earlier. That would have been in the winds a little dicey. But um, the Gophers uh, stopped them uh, a, a couple batted down passes on third and fourth down. So they didn't get the turnovers per se in, in, in fumbles and interceptions, but they turned them over on downs a couple times. Which is pretty yeah. Neat. And then post game, you know, Again, there's a, there's a little bit of a budding rivalry going here. We go back a few months, and we, I, I played the clips on on Monday's show. But you know, Scott Frost talking about slogans, PJ Fleck talking about culture. What do you make of PJ Fleck's post game reaction and comments? Um, I, it was very interesting. I, uh, you know, it's like okay, he's 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 uh, got a little burr under his saddle there. Um, you know, obviously he, t- he took the the sloganarian thing personally. And, and I, you know, I think over the years he's, he's heard criticism of, of, of his culture and I'm, I'm like, well, yes, you know, you get pushed sometimes in the corner and you're, you're going to react a little bit, you know, when, especially when you beat a team, like you know, it's kind of human nature. Yeah. You could, you could turn, you know, let it roll off your back or you could push back and that's, that's what he did. Nebraska, by the way, what a mess they are. I know they've made some strides in terms of talent, but every time they've had a chance to win a close game this year, it's just gone the wrong way for them. They've got to be, what are they, 15 and 25 under Scott Frost now? I mean, that's, uh, that's, that is a storied problem, that a storied program that has, uh, has fallen. Um, Randy, let me ask you really quick um, before we go. Again, you've got that, that three-game sequence, like I said, Maryland, 
Northwestern, Illinois, then then at Iowa after that. Is this team good enough that we should start dreaming big if you're a Gophers fan? I don't know if I would do that quite yet. I I, I think this this game is uh, coming up against Maryland could be pretty challenging. Uh, Maryland's got a lot of talent. Um, they they you know the the quarterback Taglevola uh, he moves around pretty good. He, he um, was was a big thorn in their side last year uh, in that overtime win in College Park. Uh, you know and. The Terps are three and one against the Gophers with flat coaching um, Minnesota here. So, you know, it's, it's not one that should be considered an automatic win. You know, they're going to have to go out and do it. You know, they're, they're a favorite this week and we've seen when they've uh, been favorites and not come through, Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a winnable game, obviously, obviously for them. And then, yeah, Northwestern, uh, then Illinois, um, you know, you you can, you don't want to just assume wins, but, if you play well, you can, you can get those. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see what they are able to do next week. That's a good point. That is a big one next week, only five point favorites. So again, not a, not a walkover game, but if they can come in and win that one, especially, you know, if it gets to be a comfortable win, then I think we have to reassess and say, okay, this is a, this is a team that even without, you know, their top two running backs is going to be in, in the mix going forward. Um, well, Randy Johnson, good stuff. We'll do this again next week, and uh, we'll see what PJ has to say next week as well. We sure will. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. And I have a feeling down the stretch here that the Gophers aren't just going to need culture. They're also going to need skill, and it is okay to use both of those things. Let's finish quick with the cooler. Loved the Bills going for it on fourth down from the three. They've got a giant quarterback Should have been able to get half a yard, but they didn't. But still, the decision was good. Don't leave it up to making a short field goal and going to overtime. If you feel like you can get a yard and then get in the end zone, do it. End the game right there. It didn't work out, but it doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. And that is an important thing to always remember in sports. Thanks for listening today. Good stuff coming up later this week. Expected to be joined by Timberwolves. President right now, Sashin Gupta, who took over for Gerson Rosas about a month ago. He will be on Wednesday's show as well as Chris Hine to preview that season, which begins Wednesday night at Target Center against the Rockets. So hoping for a uh, good season preview there. Also later this week, hoping to be joined by wild goalie Cam Talbot. Off to a very good start this year with two wins in his first two games. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be back at it tomorrow.